feel the need to begin my homily this weekend with something of a confession, because I'm afraid I'm something of a, a lazy priest this morning. When I read the second reading and heard St. Paul's strong exhortation to resist division and strive for unity within the church, I knew that's what I needed to preach on. We live in a, a secular world that is so divided, and that creeps into the church quite easily if we're not careful. And then I read a commentary by Peter Kreeft, and I knew that I couldn't say it any better than him. So basically, I have lifted the majority of my homily from his reflection, and I'm just going to read it to you this morning. It's a little lengthy, but it's really good. So here goes. Peter Kreeft writes this. The church is Christ's body. There is only one Christ, and therefore there is only one body of Christ. The idea that there are many different churches, many different bodies of Christ that teach different doctrines that contradict each other is like a civil war in the church. That's not just tragic, that's absolutely unacceptable, intolerable. St. John Paul II, in his encyclical, Ut Unum Sint, which means that they may be one, said that ecumenical reunion and reconciliation, this effort to bring back together all of these different denominations, is not an extra, an option, but a necessary part of the gospel. He goes on, we have divided sacred things by using secular divisions. We have divided religion by politics. But ecumenism and social justice are not liberal additions to the gospel. Any more than pro-life work and theological orthodoxy are conservative additions to the gospel. Both are intrinsic and necessary parts of it, no matter how controversial they are in the minds of many unbelievers. Christ's work always includes healing wounds, healing the wounds of denominational rivalries, which tear the body of Christ into tatters, and healing the wounds of racial and economic and political injustice, which tear our secular society apart, and healing the wounds of abortion, which literally and physically tears apart the limbs of an innocent human being. And in our work for all the parts of the gospel, we must never compromise our two absolutes, truth and love. Our truth-telling must always be loving, and our loving must always be true. One extreme tells us that truth and justice and law and order are more important than love, and the other extreme tells us that love doesn't need truth or justice or law or order, just if it feels good, do it. We have a third way as Christians, which is not right or left, but straight. The church is not the Republican Party at prayer or the Democratic Party at prayer. Don't let political categories of right and left define your religion, your relationship with God. Christ doesn't want your vote. He wants your whole life. He's not running for office. He's running for your heart. He doesn't want to be your president. He wants to be your Lord. Don't worship the donkey or the elephant. Worship the lamb. 
the Lamb of God. I thought he put that so beautifully. This call to foster unity within the body of Christ, the one body of Christ, the church. And so my contribution, my addition to what I lifted from Peter Kraft is to invite you to reflect upon the question, how do we do that? How do we ourselves live and foster unity within the church? And I would offer to you what the church calls the four bonds of communion. Four ways that we are bound together as members of Christ's body. When we embrace these bonds and live them generously, the fruit is of a profound union with one another. Three of these bonds are called visible because they're very concrete. In fact, we could even open a book and read about these three bonds, these three visible bonds, which are belief, worship, and order. We are called to believe the same truth, to hold to the definitive teachings of Christ and his church about all the different matters of our faith and of morality. And this is visible because you can open the catechism of the Catholic Church, particularly parts one and three, and read in very clear terms what we are called to believe. To live this bond doesn't mean picking and choosing from among all of these things what is most suitable to me. It means accepting it all. Even if I don't fully understand or have my mind wrapped around it. Nonetheless, to give my yes, my assent. That second visible bond is our worship. We come together and worship in a very particular way here at Holy Mass. And there's a book right there on the altar that tells us exactly what to say and what to do. We can and we should pray all the time and everywhere. But we need to come together as the body of Christ here and worship in the way that the Lord through his church has given us. And so this common worship of ours in the liturgy is the second visible bond of communion. And the third is order. Christ has given to his church a particular structure in order to provide for the good ordering of his body. We read all about it in the book of canon law, not the most scintillating read, but it's there visibly, very concrete terms right there before us. And we live this bond of communion in the order of the church, especially by giving our respect and our obedience to those who the Lord has put over us in authority in the church, the Pope, our Archbishop, our own pastor, by living in union, communion under their leadership. These are the three visible bonds of communion. And there's a fourth invisible bond of communion, which holds it all together. And that is the bond of love, of charity. It was often remarked of the early Christians, see how they love one another. All of this goes together. When you and I come forward for Holy Communion and the minister holds up the consecrated host and says, the body of Christ, we respond, amen. We're giving our amen, our yes, not just to the truth, that that is truly the substantial body of Jesus Christ. But we're saying amen also to these bonds of communion that hold us together as the body of Christ, the church. 
to come to communion and say amen without embracing these four bonds of communion is really a false amen. And here's the beautiful thing. When the church is divided, when there are these rivalries, these camps, it's a cause of great scandal in the world. And it hampers the ability of the church to draw men and women to Christ. But when the church is one, when we live with great generosity of heart, these bonds of communion, then that unity of us, the body of Christ, is a strong witness to the truth and the goodness and the beauty of life in Christ. So today, in a perhaps more fervent way, as we gather as the one body of Christ before his holy altar, let us pray for the unity of his church. Pray for that oneness to which he calls us. And let us each ask our Lord, Personally, how are you calling me to live with greater fidelity, with greater generosity, these bonds of communion in my life so that I can do my part to make your church one, to build up that communion so that the church can be what she's meant to be, this leaven for unity and peace in the world. St. Patrick. Pray for us.